Welcome to Project Chatter, the podcast where PPM experts from various sectors talk about the latest trends. Listen to Val and Dale as they talk about tried and tested best practices and share their unfiltered thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to progress your career, improve your project control skills, or just want to hear an Aussie and South African rant about projects, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Project Chatter podcast with your hosts, Dale Fung and Val Matthews. In this episode, we speak to Ali Malfi, who commenced his engineering career in 1980 at Terminal 4, ascending to project management, but found the role unfulfilling due to its lack of intellectual challenge and the prevalence of counterproductive behaviors. That was very PC of him to say that. By 2004, he had co-founded Lean Thinking Limited, joined Build of Site and supported the first BIM trial project. His extensive involvement in over 200 projects globally is marked by his commitment to experimenting with and applying various improvement initiatives. Um, I'll also mention that he's, he's obviously kicked off Timist, the project delivery system, which we did talk and touch on a little bit. Dale, how was that for you, mate? It was great. Um, just, I guess, touching on, on the pod before we touch on being in person again. Um, I think Ali's fantastic. I've spoken to him offline numerous times and he doesn't mince his words. He's ha- he has a very decorated career. Um, he certainly has formulated his thoughts, as he calls them, has many light bulb moments along his career journey. And I think the listeners will find this one pretty fascinating. He doesn't pull any punches. Uh, he's not afraid to challenge. And we need more people like that. Um, Absolutely. And he even on record has asked for anyone to come and debate him. So if you're that person and you're listening, please take him up on it. But um, we thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, we, we tried to poke, poke the bear a little bit and he bit here and there, which was fantastic too. So we really, really appreciate his time. But yeah, it's great to see you in person as well, Bill. Um, it's great to see you as well, mate. Um, back in the Middle East, doing our thing. Uh, Project Controls Expo Middle East was fantastic. Um, come check us out. Yeah, come check us out indeed. But look, folks, as we say, we'll leave it there. So keep listening, keep liking, and keep paying it forward. Hello, project people. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Project Chatter podcast. And we are here. We are live together for the second podcast face-to-face back in the Middle East with my friend, Dale Fung. <laughs> I can I, touch you. Actually, I don't know if I like this being too close, but how are you, Dale? Are you good? I'm good, thank you. It's great to see you again in the flesh. Um, You never change, which is great. Um, Well, you change your clothes, I think, but other than that, um, it's great, yeah. Very good. No, it's good to have you here. We just finished the Project Controls Expo in the Middle East. The first one, actually, in UAE uh, went very, very well, didn't it? That's why we're wearing hats today, I guess, uh, because the weather's finally cleared up. But uh, let's introduce our guest, our esteemed guest. I think a lot of people are interested in hearing from you, Ali, and your first time on the pod. How are you, Ali Maffey? I'm very good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for inviting me along. It is our absolute pleasure. Now, usually we go straight into the detail, but for special guests, we we reserve a place and some time to talk about their history and their background. And we were just talking before we press record about your significant history and projects. Um, Ali, give us your version of where it all began for you and projects, and we'll, we'll take it from there. Ah, my journey in construction started on Terminal 4 um, as, as a junior trainee engineer. As it happens, I worked with two South African guys, 
<laughs> and one of them did not like using the theodolite. He had this thing of, you know, putting, throwing his arms wide and then standing there and then slapping into the middle. You know, I don't know if you know the technique. So yeah, that's where the pe- right. that's, that's where the peg goes. And I go, oh no, we can't, we can't rely on that anyway. And then there was the other, the, there was the other South African who went off sick. And so I picked up his survey book. And I'm flicking through this, and there are all these um, letters and numbers, you know, series of letters and numbers. And I'm thinking, why has he put letters in here? AB962 or AFJ785. So I go to running up to my senior um, engineer and go, I don't understand these coordinates. He looks at them and he, and he stands there because they're not coordinates. They're the um, he's been plane watching. He's been writing down, standing behind the theodolite, watching all those planes. So, <laughs> so I had a brilliant time. We, we were doing the civil's work and we had a van. We were just crashed around racing. You know, it was a huge area we were covering. So we crashed around there and. From there, I went on to a few building projects, few projects in the city, and sort of worked my way up. Um, then, uh, on one project, we had a project manager who was, in, on reflection, was very diligent. He spent quite a bit of time in sitting in the office, planning, thinking, whatever. And I was out and about as his assistant, shouting and screaming. After about three weeks, they came to me and said, you know, this guy, does he ever get out? I said, well, not very often. So the next thing is he gets the sack and I get his job because that's what they wanted me to do. You know, they wanted somebody to be out and about, you know, none of this sitting around planning. (laughs) (laughs) And so then then I went on to another job and, and that's where after about six months thinking, you know, this really, do I want to continue on? In this kind of role, I seem to spend most of my time, you know, nothing seems to work. Nothing arrives on time. And when it does, it's not the right thing, the right color, the right shape, the right size. And at that time, most of the um, operatives were labor only. So it wasn't just a problem of the material. It was also, you know, was the guy skilled? Was he the right guy? You know, was it, you know, you had to keep an eye on so many things. And, you know, you're always constantly on the phone, chasing, progress chasing. I thought, well, this is not very intellectually engaging. And then you had people used to come to site and then say, oh, what about, have you, why have you thought of this? Why haven't you done that? And the way they used to sort of say it, you know, in accusatory, I thought, you know, I'm working here 12 hours a day, seven till seven and Saturdays as well. I'm just, this is just not for me. I loved being an engineer, you know, it was quite a, mm. quite challenging, exciting. And then I thought, right, I've had enough. So I went, left all that. I remember the guy, he said, no, why are you leaving? You know, to tell us, we'll do whatever you say. I said, you know, I really don't know what is right and how it should be, but this just doesn't seem right. So that's, then I left, went, did an MBA, got involved with the automotive industry for a short while, looking at life cycle costs, looking at a bit of their production system, their productivity, how they were measuring that. And then I did a couple of other things and then went back to construction. I got a call from somebody saying, you know, Balfabitio recruiting, why don't you come back to construction? So I had three interviews. And I thought this is all going to be different. 
I'm not going to tell you what it was like. Anyway, I joined Balfour's. <laughs> it was the same, just a bigger scale. Yeah. Um, so the same bloody, whatever, chaos. Um, so I joined Balfour's and moved around within Balfour's. And then I got a call saying, look, we're going to set up this business improvement team. And, you know, we, you know, you would fit in, you've got your MBA, you've done a bit in the automotive industry, you know, what, do you want to join it? And I went, I do for sure. So then I joined this team of five, some absolutely brilliant guys, some very smart guys. Um, it was led by a chap called Martin Print. It was brought in from the, uh, from the manufacturing with a sort of TQM knowledge mm-hmm. and background and then we had I had a chap called Neil Buttrell who's retired and Dave Madigan who has gone works for Boeing now um, and we then spent oh, probably about six years I mean our boss at the time Martin you say you know you can if you if there's something interesting you want to read a book or whatever just re- bring it in read it you can sit here read it so we used to just, you know, we used to read everything that was coming out, you know, the goal, the machine that changed the world and this and that. So, and we were doing lots of, started off doing lots of um, um, Deming stuff, TQM systems sort of view, um, SPC, statistical process control. I mean, everybody's talking about data, this and that. You know, we were just gathering data. We were doing Pareto's, Fishbone diagrams, process mm-hmm. mapping, a whole lot. We had a lovely software, process mapping software, which went bust. And then we came across Mr. Semler, Ricardo Semler, and Maverick. Have you come across him? Have you heard of Maverick? No. no. Anyway, he's a Brazilian guy. I'm better than Maverick. Uh, yeah <laughs> exactly that's what i was thinking <laughs> maverick is about the story of this man who took over from his sort of industrial sort of factory in took over from his father and then he decided he couldn't this sort of sitting at the top command and control was not for him mm-hmm. so then he just turned the whole thing upside down and created a environment where there are no rules basically you know people just came and went and he showed that by doing that you know productivity performance everything went up you know he allowed people to take the equipment home saying you know yeah take it home as long as you produce what we want and you can then use it to produce whatever you want as well and sell it good luck to you that sort of and they got to a stage when he was allowing his people to set their own salary it's very interesting so we wanted to go to Brazil to see him at the time when everybody wanted to go to Japan to see Toyota. So that's how I was. And at the time, this team was set up, as I, you know, I said, he was a pioneering. And I think everybody was focused on the QA 5750 when we were doing all this other stuff. And we set up some self-managing frontline teams on one of our major infrastructure projects, um, live motorway extension and expansion. And it worked really well. So we, we actually did test a lot of things. And then we met, we had quite a lot of training from the Goldratt Institute. Yep. Then we met Ellie Goldratt and he came along and he said he wanted to trial his 
first time is Critical Chain on the Balfabiti project. Mm. So that's before he published a book that was trialed on one of our projects. So, you know, we had a few light bulb moments working with him. We met then Glenn Ballard. Um, and then, so we, we kept testing different things on different projects, different types of leaderships, you know, and all this stuff people are talking about now. After all that, I then went to Balfour BT Rail for a couple of years. The whole team got disbanded, went, and I'll explain to you later why. Um, I went to Balfour BT Rail as a regional manager, rail maintenance. is an interesting scenario there because, you know, people talk about data. You know, it is a place with just enormous amount of, inordinate amount of data collection. Because the, the way the contract was, there was a big pot of money, £70 million bonus that was on the table. And uh, you, would, you would have that bonus if you didn't lose any of it. But every minute there was a delay, every minute there was a delay, there would be a deduction. And I think it was a £70 a minute for um, the um, passenger lines and about 30 for the sort of the freight sidings sort of lines. So everything was recorded to the second, honestly, in this 24-hour control room. We had every possible type of data, you know, for delays you can think about. So I get there, and at first few meetings, you know, we're talking about the amount of money we've lost, the amount of delays, and they go, and I go, okay, what was the reason? They go, oh, sheep on the line, trolley on the line, and I go, okay, fair enough. And then I think, okay, I'm going to go down. You know, I hadn't been downstairs to this control room yet. So I go down there and I start chatting to them. I say, can you give me a printout of the, you know, the last um, couple of months? So he gives me this printout of the delays. And I'm looking at this. And I'm looking like sheep on the line, which is really difficult for us to control, is around 2%. Trolley on the line, which is again, you know, vandals and whatever, about 1%. Points failures, 30%. Track circuit failures, 30%. So I rush back upstairs and I go, guys, why are we talking about trolleys and sheep when we got, you know, 60% of our delays are caused? Oh, yeah, yeah, we're looking at all that. But well, I say, you didn't mention it and you didn't discuss, we didn't discuss it. So anyway, so that was an interesting start. And the next thing was part of the, there was a lot of animosity between the way the whole maintenance works because you got track worker, walkers, inspectors who walk the track and then record things, uh, all the faults, and then comes back and then goes into a computer and then it gives, given a risk priority. And then two weeks later is, um, then uh, allocated some norms to it and then they were issued a list every day and then they go they wouldn't find they couldn't find it when they found it they didn't think it was risky enough to work on it oh it was just painful so we were then then we got a call with each region with the four regions that we've been run by owned by Balfabiti that we had to identified the financial risk, how much of backlog of work was there and how much of it was high priority, 
and how much would the value would be. So the four of us went away, came back, and the first guy said, oh, you know, we've got this amount of thing. It's about 150 grand. The other guy said, it's 200 grand. Came to me, I said, zero. And this senior director looked at me and went, what do you mean zero? I said, zero, there is no, there's no financial, you know, there's no, there are no high risk activity, high risk um, faults. He went, sorry, did you not understand what I asked for? I said, I think I understood what you asked for. He said, are you telling me we don't have any high risk activities on your, I said, well, since you were last here, we repaired them all. He said, how could you repair all that? I said, well, actually we didn't repair them all. I walked with the guys and made them explain to me why they were high priority. I worked with the civils guys who do the work and the inspectors and saying, why is this high priority explained? And then it transpired. Most of them were not actually high priority and trains were not going to come off the line. So we then, whatever we agreed was high priority, we repaired, which was only about 15%, if I remember. And so that's what I reported. So that did not go down very well. So from then onwards, I was not very popular. <laughs> anyway, so what we did was we actually put the gangs together. We said, this is crazy, you know, this all this process. So, you know, based on my knowledge of sort of continuing one piece flow and whatever, I said, look, you've got to do, you know, the key is, key is that it has to be continuous flow. You know, you've got to um, pick up the fault, repair the fault not patch it up and then, you know, then decide how to prioritize it and all the work that went with it, endless amount of effort. So they went, no, you can't do that. You know, you can't walk. And then if there's a broken rail, then you can't carry a rail, you know, 20 meter rail on your shoulder. So I went, I thought, hmm, okay, that's fair enough. Then I sort of thought, okay, how often does that happen? Ah, not very often. Ah, okay. So then we said, can you give me a list of all the things that you do repair? And then it transpired. About 80% of it, you could actually walk and repair. So that meant the inspectors had to get their hands dirty. And the civils guys loved that. And, and then they all then started actually getting on really well. So that's that became the sort of, I don't know if they continued on with that or not. So that's So that's what happened there. After that, I then we then I got this call saying that Martin Print, who was my boss at Balf, who was the leader, he was working for the DTI on um, the KPIs, which became so he gave me a call saying, "Look, there's this organized this team set up called Movement for Innovation, and they're looking for people who are into ideas and change and whatever." Um, do you want to come and join it? So that's when I joined M4I. I guess you guys are too young to remember M4I. M4I basically was on the back of Egan's report, Movement for Innovation was Egan's sort of thing that people had to start applying that whatever was the recommendations were. And so that's, I became a regional advisor for that. But then I also got involved with helping with the national KPIs you know, we talk again about collecting data. I mean, this that's exactly what we did. You know, we managed to get, we set up these 10 KPIs and managed to get sort of 
feedback or people actually using them across most government departments and most local authorities. Hmm. So, and, you know, and nobody, there was, none of it was hidden, you know, all this thing about data, whatever security or protection, but, and then I had to go and try to audit some of this and say, you know, and it transpired that a lot of it was manipulated to sort of allow for all the changes that were made. But the idea was not to sort of, not to extend it. And all the ones that have showed anything, any sort of benefit were basically all, you know, Egan's report. Dan Jones, who wrote the Lean Thinking book, he was involved with the Egan report. He was one of the co-authors and there was a lot about Lean in there. But there was none of that. Everybody, all they did was set up partnering contracts, run a little team working event, created a charter. Then I used to take the maker and say, where is your charter? And then I go, oh, well, that's not going to work. It's not laminated. <laughs> has to be has to be in a frame and laminated and it has to be in the reception it ain't gonna work so uh, anyway and then there was all, all the time you know the, contra- the client would say oh yeah the contractor agreed to do this and that for nothing and like hold on that's not innovation you've guaranteed him a run of work and now you know he's doing a few favors back that's not you actually have not done anything different what are you going to do in the next project so and then i then I was helping with off-site. We, I was actually taking the, the minister, the housing minister and the construction minister around a few of the factories, some of which had you know, gone bust recently. Caledonia was a brilliant place. Um, so it was that. And then I also then set up the, um, started doing the lean training, lean thinking workshops, which were really very popular. And at the end of these workshops, people will say, we like the sound of that. Can you come and help us? And I'd go, no, I can't. I'm not allowed. We're not allowed to provide any consultancy. So it got to a stage when I said to the um, the, um, the bosses at M4I, look, um, why don't I just do less days for you then and do start doing some, you know, I'd quite like to do, go on these projects. And they said yes. So it started one day a week, then it became two, it became three, and before long, it came five days. So that's when I set up Lean Thinking Limited. And when I set all that up, and then um, most of actually what we were doing, you know, there was three of us, we were, majority of it was based on critical chain and TOC. Mm-hmm. So when we went on to projects, you know, thought, okay, all we have to do is help set up a buffer program, set up the charts, talk you know, talk to them about uh, one-piece continuous flow and how they should do that, and then job done. We go on to the next project. And the next minute, you know, you think, do you get, can we see a copy of the program? Ooh, we don't know. Okay, then I guess send this, we get this, send this PDF and always with a sort of a, I don't know, what's the word, a disclaimer saying, this is not a complete program. Draft. 
<laughs> Why is it that there's never a program? I have never been. I've been involved as I say with so many projects. So many often yeah. I get called in halfway through the project, and I get and. The, after a lot of phone calls and email exchanges between the manager and the planners, eventually a program PDF gets sent to me, which says this is, we are six weeks behind that. I go, I don't want to see this in a PDF and six weeks behind. I want to see the actual position in an actual software that I can use and read. So anyway, and then in those days, um, some of that has changed now. I think I would take some, there are two of us would take some credit for that. Most of the programs were based around resources. I don't know if you remember, you know, if it was, a, for example, a hospital was, you know, each sort of room. No, it was um, a carpenter, room one, room two, room three, room four, room five. It wasn't based on sort of the logic to sequence of work. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was based purely on, you know, on, on resource and we say, well, this, you know, you can't use this for this purpose. You've got to say room one, you know, first fix, second fix, do this, do that, do this, clean, snag, finish, handover. So then we had to do all of that. And then we said, okay, how often do you update and reschedule? Oh, we don't reschedule. All right. Okay. So why are you using this software? Why do people use a, you know, planning software when they only functionality of any value that it provides is not used you know it's still still beyond me um and then they say so and then there's all this oh yeah you know i walk around and i add the percentage complete i said well that doesn't tell you where you're at um so i said look you this has got to be updated at least weekly and you've got to produce all the reports well we can't do that I said, well, this is not going to work then. So we then ended up actually taking control of the software and getting people to do the analysis and the update in the background and all of that and visiting the site, updating on the day. We got to a point where we were actually updating programs in about an hour when, you know, people were taking a day or two days. One project, major project that was on, it was two weeks. Um just imagine driving along with somebody sitting next to you without a sat nav, with a map, trying to work out where you are. And an hour after you into your journey, you'll say, oh, yeah, that was junction six we passed about 20 minutes ago. Like, what? <laughs> where are we now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, so we then ended up taking over that and that caused that that has caused a lot of for me has been the main obstacle for progressing thing because that obviously you know treading on the toes of the quite um highly turf guard department within construction companies touching the program was not the thing to do so but we persisted because, again, you know, every time you say, okay, you do it, update it, send the thing out, copy it to everyone, which was the other obstacle because most contractors do not allow programs to be shared. You, I guess you're aware of that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so we know the reasons why, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So there's a program that, you know, we're trying to get to people to follow that nobody's allowed to see. 
and everybody's got their own program and there's about you know some of these major projects how many there must be at least 30 programs 20 planners and there's also the lots of this sort of weekly schedules people together and then there's the rag system and there is this and that excel spreadsheets and then we say you know why isn't project finishing on time so all of that had to stop when we got involved none of that everything one system one place shared with everyone open which again our involvement helped because whatever we did was seen event you know people got after a few weeks used to the fact that it was non-contractual and they would start opening up so we then um so that's how it, it went and then obviously I've had a, quite a few light bulb moments throughout my career learning. First of all, obviously coming across all the Deming stuff, then the Goldrat stuff, then the yeah. you know the Goldrat, especially the bottleneck of the system. I mean, that's probably one of the most powerful things that we don't think about enough, you know, in um, in construction, um, and then sort of the recent sort of few years I mean I've been doing what most people do you know we have an issue with productivity that is not moving the dial is not moving and you hear everyone is saying we know what it is we've got to do we know all the solutions we know we've got to collaborate we've got to be agile we've got to be lean we've got to you know, have psychological safety, we've got, you know, endless, we've got to have leaders rather than managers, we've got to have servant leaders, I can go on, you know, all these things, mm-hmm. all of which I've tried. And then, and you think, okay, yeah, all these things work, you know, the last planner works, everything works. But what... I've learned is that actually, okay, all of this works, but I've done on projects that I've helped. I'm 100% sure what I did help reduce the project time, but the project did not finish on time. So I'm thinking, so what is it that then needs to happen? Why these things are not producing? Then you think, actually, when you think about how we set the... Um, completion date you know there's very little science you could argue is involved you know and i've always thought that you know the project will finish where the project finishes you know when this goes back to the start of the when i started learning about deming you know you've got to have the right system to get the right outcome and if you follow the system and doesn't matter how good your people are they're constrained by the system you know people that say it's always about people yes the people have to keep reviewing and improving the system but ultimately the system will constrain what the outcome is and dan jones used to say that you know in construction we have highly skilled people but really poor systems output um and there are a number of factors why, I mean, people are trying all these different things and they're not getting much benefit. So so these are the, sort of my understanding, my learning over these years are the, the reasons 
Number one is everybody thinks that by applying something, they're going to finish on time or better. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Do lean, so, but not necessarily. Um, the second thing is people don't realize actually anything that you do in 90% of the time, in 99%, can only improve if you're focusing on shortening the project time. It only improves. You can only bring the end date forward by a day or two. By a day, 80% of the time, by, you know, only about 10% of the time, if you're lucky, by two days, very rarely by more than that. None of the stuff that people talk about improves project delivery in terms of project time, like off-site. Off-site on its own, as a principle, will not deliver any improvement. Neither does BIM, neither does digital digitalization, neither this and that, whatever. So there are all these principles, everything that we try. So then you've got to ask yourself, so none of these are any good? No, they're all good, except the fact that the way they're applied is not does not deliver the outcome that we want is a bit is a bit like um my tennis i play lots of tennis do you guys play a little bit oh good okay Mm. so my view is that no project is ever finished on time because of the scientific endeavor or the intellectual, scientific, data-driven approach that led to it, that more often than not, project complete on time purely by chance. Because the principles that are required for the project to finish on time align by chance. The same way as my, when I hit a good forehand, you know, I happen to have I've happened to bend my knees on time and turn my shoulder in time and follow through and kept my head still and watched the ball and all those things happened. I know all the bits, but I very rarely string them all together. So I, most of the time I hit dreadful shots. And that's a sort of the same sort of thing, if that makes sense, with delivering projects. You've got to have, so you've got to have all these principles. And again, you know, we we apply a lot of things in isolation to each other. You know, we work in, in a system with a lot of interdependencies. So therefore, everything we do has to be applied in the same way. We apply things randomly, on and off. You know, we say, okay, we're going to have a bit of offside. We'll have bathroom pods. Yeah. The chance of a bathroom pod reducing the project time is actually very slim. Because you've got to be on a critical path for any reducing the project time. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. So, and and any improvement, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people now, you know, we, we did all of this, time and motion, steel fixers, carpenters, bricklayers. Um, improving anybody's productivity on site except the bottleneck activity actually delivers zero time or cost improvement for the project. The only guy who benefits is the guy who fixes steel. You help him fix more steel, he will earn more per hour and that's it. Thank you very much. That benefit does not get passed on. 
And if you build something in a factory a million times faster than you do on site, that benefit doesn't get passed on as such to the to the system. Right. So what else happens? Um, a lot of times we people do things in a half-hearted way. I mean, they, you know, I love it. You know, nowadays everything everybody says or, you know, every report and every presentation talks about being agile. We've got to be agile. We've got to collaborate. We've got to be lean. And it's like people say, you know, at the tennis club, you know, you've got to do top spin serves. And you say, do you actually know what the mechanics are of hitting a top spin serve? And most people I play with have no idea. And this is the thing, you know, people talk about lean and you think, and they go, oh, yeah, we're doing lean or, you know, like, yeah, lean is not something you do. It's mm. um, lean, I understood, is something you become. So I might just jump in there. Um, yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah, am I going ranting on? No, no, no. We, we, love, we love it when people rant on because it means our job's easier, to be fair. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it gives a great context. I just want to summarize a few things because you started yeah. with some – we always get stuck with acronyms. And for some of the listeners, I think there were some great ones okay. in there. TQM, Critical Chain, TOC, Lean and Agile. You can all Google that or chat GPT or whatever you want to do. So we don't have to go down the definitions path. But – there was one thing you said, and I thought maybe if you could explain what you think that means, because I think it's a good one. You mentioned there was a book that you've done, um, and you talked about lean thinking. And I think, well, what do you mean, or what's your intention behind saying lean thinking? What is that? Is that because is that something you said? It's not something you do. It's something you become potentially. Um, what does that mean? Well, basically, I mean, you you've got to. Uh, I mean, what is lean thinking? Lean thinking is a label given to a study of how the production Toyota production system works. Yeah. So what they've done is they've listed out some of the basics, some of which are common amongst many of the like Prince too and Agile and whatever. Yeah. Again, it's using the sporting analogy, you know, there's a lot of sort of basics, the same when you're playing a sport that involves striking a ball. Is that, I don't know if that's a good one on analogy. Yeah, you've got to follow through, keep your head still. If you're playing snooker, if you're playing golf, and uh, all those things. So that, yeah, so yeah. The, the prince. There are a lot of common principles, basic mechanics um, amongst many of these things with these labels. Well, the the lean has you know the five principles, which is you know identify the client value, then do your you know identify the uh, value chain. Was one thing about projects is the value chain is really the program and the program does not have non-value adding activities very rarely you people add stuff in there you know what's in there is the you know the value adding work mm. which really uh, you, you know the, the background stuff in the backroom stuff there may be lots of questionable things which you can automate and use ai possibly you know which are questionable anyway I mean, it's one of the things I learned, you know, when automation was a big thing, you know, before you automate, understand, you know, what value it adds. So, and before we use AI, you know, what are we going to use artificial intelligence for? But so, and the, the next one, which I think it's the key one, which I've been trying to communicate for years. And this is one of the, one of the two things that people don't talk about a lot or mention a lot as this being this solution. 
this is the biggest solution because there are two things. If you, you know, okay, let me go back to what I'm trying to do. Um, I've, based on all this, doing experimenting, testing all this, I've created what's called a system called Timist. Yeah. And now people say, you know, well, why are the people coming up with their own systems? It's like saying, why are people coming up with different cars? Why don't we just call everything a car? But okay. I've done this because I think the principles I put together, I was talking to somebody who is an expert in critical chain and he was saying, we were discussing and I said, look, the critical chain, I've used it. I was there the first day. It does not shorten this. There are things missing from those mechanics that does not shorten the project as much as it does as the time is with these additional sort of bits and pieces, if that makes sense. Um so what are the two things that are not very commonly discussed, which one of which is a, comes under the sort of the lean thinking? And that is organizing work one unit at a time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Henry Gantt did us a disfavor by coming up with a Gantt chart. It did you guys a favor. What did the rest of the industry disfavor? <laughs> because, by the way, before this finishes, I'd like to know, I keep hearing about P6, and, you know, this is one of the other things. And I, I go, you go, you've got to use P6, you know. I want to know by how much shorter does using P6, how much, by how much does it shorten project delivery? You can't shake your head now, Val. We pay no. extra money for all that. I... <laughs> I mean, I mean, Oracle knows I'm no big fan. Um, un- unfortunately, I actually think it makes projects longer. It does. By, just, by the virtue of its complexity. And, and I actually also think it's like having a Ferrari parked in the garage because about 1% of its functionality is used by projects. So it's, it's a mix of misuse and complexity because we can't help ourselves. I think it's a human trait, right, to make things difficult. And it becomes a very long-winded exercise to then integrate that back, especially if the program's big. I would say on smaller projects, not that I've been on many, but I'd say on smaller projects, it'd be quite good. But- yeah, I think you're right because it comes back to what you were saying earlier, Ali, about the application of the technology and tools we have at our disposal and how equipped we are or not mm. um, with the art of executing them in a manner that shortens delivery, specifically on the time horizon. Because here's the thing, and and listening to you is fascinating, Ali, because I totally agree with you. A lot of the tools and techniques and call them what you want, um, methods. This episode is sponsored by Deltec, your gateway to peak project performance and profitability. Deltec's world-class PPM solutions offer robust cost control, customizable workflows, scalable scheduling, and advanced risk analysis. Trusted globally by thousands, Deltek drives your project success to new heights. Discover more at deltek.com. They actually are geared to identifying threats so that you can mitigate delay, not shorten the program. How, how many times have we sat on, sat on projects and programs in risk reviews and there are only threats and no one comes with opportunities, opportunities to shorten what has currently been set? Mm. Right. And I think that's for me, if I bring it back to sort of, I guess, more standard speak, 
That's what you're saying because you're going, we have these great things, AI, machine learning, whatever it is, and we can look at them. But ultimately, they're identifying potential threats which we should mitigate so that the program doesn't extend. They're not doing what we think they're trying to do and shorten what we set out to do. Is that is that fair to say? Am I interpreting that the correct way? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, most planning process, as I was told by the senior director and MD of one of the top three organizations, top three contracting, the planning system is designed to protect the contractor, not to reduce the project time. Mm. All the planning process is as a protection and sort of defense. Does that make sense? That does make sense because um, when I started out in planning, one of the things they would talk about is um, particularly this is defense, right? So yep. it was about um, contract integrity. So yep. if you have to ring fence a significant piece of work, the, pl- the program effectively locked in the scope. So that's what it did, right? It, and then change control was effectively the only way that you could bypass the controls and plan. So the planning process was fundamentally like a line of defense, if you like, of assurance to make sure the scope could be delivered. So, but yeah. The other thing that I find fascinating is that, and I was, when I, when I started out as a planner, I was taught that don't try and plan everything to the nth degree <laughs> yeah. because we're not good at it. We're inherently, no. we're not good at planning, you know, 12 months, two years, five years ahead in detail. So why do we go and do it? You know, we're really good at seeing the here and now and planning that in detail and understanding, okay, what needs to be done in the next month, two, well, three months. That doesn't, what is it like saying a sat-nav could only show you the next half an hour, but that's not how, you know, the system has to work like a sat-nav, unfortunately. To know where the bottleneck yeah. of the system is, you need, okay, let me put it, let me put it to you this way. 80% of most programs are the same, repeat. In what field? In manufacturing or are you saying in, in general? In a, no, in any, in any project, every floor is the same. It little tweaks here and there. Every railway line, you know, every kilometer is near enough the same. Every bridge on a, on a motorway is, you know, it's quite, you know, you, you, you plan one and then you tweak it for the, for the next one. I don't know why, you know, it takes so much effort and whatever. You know, we should have all these sort of... In the background, you know, this is a bridge. I've done loads of bridges. Take this out. Oh, this has got a slightly bigger span. They've got a this and that. And, so, and so. what I'm basically trying to say, actually, we need to move away completely. Well, again, what Henry Gant was trying to do was trying to add structure to a chaotic environment, which was cell manufacturing with different skills being issued with job cards and doing trying to do the work aligned with the time allocated. Yeah, and we're but not good it, at that, right? Well, that's chaotic, and that's why Henry Ford then came along. He, you know, they, I think they tried that and they, they, they abandoned it. That's why they created assembly line, saying, we, you know, we're going to organize the work one unit at a time. We're not... You know, when you go to see Toyota, people miss out the fact that what they're looking at, those guys are not giving a job card each, saying you got two minutes to assemble the wheel, you got five minutes to hang the door. That's You're a, working that's... on one unit at a time. So that's what, yeah. 
by not doing working on one unit at a time, we are ex- there are two things to the project, and this is what how the time is the way I'm approaching it is stuff that could happen to us that causes delays, which we just talked about, all the uncertainty, the risk, the complexity, and most of which um, may not delay the project anyway. Most client changes may not, you know, unless they hit the um, bottleneck, they may not actually impact the end date. And then there's the stuff that we do. And virtually 90% of what we do every day it extends the project duration. And this is why I'm saying... This is what I'm standing for, that we need to start valuing the project time, monitoring it daily, accounting for it, what happens to it. It costs £70 million, around £70 million a day to deliver projects in the UK based on £100 a year spent. What's happening to that money? What's happening to the project day? How much of a project day is completed every day? What happens at the end of the day? I want to see I want to see like a flight arrival thing on my screen at the end of every day. If I was an MD of a if I was a client or an MD of contracting, I want to see what's happened to my project at the end of every day. Did the end date move out? Did the end date come in? How much of a day did you spend? I want to see a big board next to the safety board says since such such days we have not lost a single project day i love that because um one of the pet peeves that i've been talking about for a long time as dale knows is the month end reporting cycle which mm. i think you would realize is you're you're you know <laughs> you're waiting 30 days to find out that uh you're late 28 days ago and uh and there's nothing you can really do about it by the time you find out so h- how do you feel about the business rhythm as such because most programs are geared towards what the client wants and the client usually is set up in a contractual manner to review it once a month. I know. And they review some PDF with, with stuff that's not been rescheduled with drop lines, drop lines. If you, if you use drop lines means you extend the project time guaranteed 100%. Drop lines. What's the, what's that terminology? I haven't heard that before. uh, Do you know Dale drop lines when you show how much of the tasks you haven't done? It's probably worth for the listeners, Ellie, that you just briefly explain. Okay, the drop lines. You know, also. instead of rescheduling everything to see where everything moves, you you then put in where where uh, where the task should have been, how much should have been done, and how much oh, yeah, of it is not that. done. And then you yeah. sit there. The people sit there in in these monthly meetings. Go, you haven't done enough of that. Yeah, but why sh- you shouldn't be doing that at all? The priority of that is low. I think you're right then, and mm. this and this is probably the. What do you mean I'm right there? Of course I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be coming on humor. here if I wasn't there right, Dale. Yeah, there's a sense of humor. But no, the, the, <laughs> the key thing here, yeah, I think, is that organizations and projects, they, they mix up the difference between a project plan and trying to forecast what's going to happen. Because for me, certainly, when you, when you mix up the two, you're trying to forecast potential areas where you can improve your plan. Your plan is your target. This is what you want to do. And I agree with you. That's easy to do. But in terms of then trying to reforecast it as you go and say, how can we improve on this? That is the tough thing, right? And we know what we want to do. We know the sequence. What You, you said it, 80% of projects are similar, except for 
when you get to projects like what's going on in Saudi Arabia, you know, in the Neom region, where they're novel, they're completely novel in, in many senses. Well, what but, are you building that's novel? So I guess trying to build a um, ski resort in the middle of the Middle East in, you know, where it's okay. too hot, right? That's never been done before. Yeah, but I mean, whatever the complexity, there's still activities and quite a lot of those activities then end up repeating themselves on the program. Ab- ab- absolutely. So you can plan for it, but you don't know the risks that are inherent to those No, conditions. you don't know the risk, no. And that's, that's why. my point. Oh, yeah, the yeah. planning bit is easy. It's forecasting the risks that may happen that are really difficult. Well, I mean, no system. Again, uh, this is the, the system should work like a sat-nav. Yeah, the sat-nav, your sat-nav may know, may have in the background the possibility of any incident that could happen on your journey from A to B. Yeah, so it I should, go to Cor- does it, I guess. That's the point. Yeah, I go it. to Cornwall a lot. The, the I, go, I go to Cornwall a lot and I set the sat-nav and we have to agree as a family that once we set the sat-nav, we're not going to argue with it. We're not going to redirect, go, oh, this is, let's try something else. Stick to the system. Anyway, the satnav may have in the background that there could be a car on fire or a lorry on his side. But what the satnav can't tell me is when that's going to happen, where it's going to happen. Yeah. But what the satnav now does, which he didn't do before, which when he first came out, you know, when you were 60 miles away with, um, um, when you're doing 60, yeah, with 60 miles to go, he will tell you you'll be there in an hour. Agreed? But now the satnav, if you're doing 60 and 60 miles to go, it will tell you you'll be there in an hour and a half because it picks up three bits of information from ahead of you. And one of which may be somebody saying there's a car on fire after junction 25 on the hard shoulder or on the fast lane. And then you then get that feedback. And that's what, you know, the system, we, you know, we don't use elapsed time to update progress. So most of the time, you know, this using percentage complete nonsense, which everybody agrees is nonsense, but every project still continues on doing it and then doing these drop lines. Um, so we need to use the only way to update the program to get the elapsed time is to engage all the supply chain involved because they're the only ones, the carpenter is the only one who will know if the task that he's got left two days, if it's going to be finished in two days or the, the timber is not going to arrive for another week. It, it, anybody walking around, marking up, that's, you know, that's QS work. That's for fine. That's for being paid, not for progress monitoring. You know, walking around like you're using a map. If you go to any project that the guy has got the program on the wall and marks it up, you be you can be 100% certain that project will not finish in the shortest possible time. If you go to any project when the project manager has got a list of all this number of resources on the day, and the first thing he tells you, oh, I need 12 more of this, you can be sure that project is not going to finish in the shortest possible time. Because we think by maximizing the resources and keeping them busy gives us the best outcome, the shortest project time, but actually is completely the opposite. The more people you have on site, the more utilized they are, means that you have to do the work in the larger batches, which is what that lean thinking principle is. The great, the bigger the batch, 
the longer the project takes. So there are two things, what we practice daily and what happens to us. We're spending too much time on, you know, what's going to happen to us. You know, what is the risk? You know, what's going to happen? But every day, everything we do, if you have package managers on projects, your project's going to take longer than it should. If you talk to subcontractors individually, your project is going to take longer than it should because you are always in older situations, going to agree to give people greater run of work, which means you extend the project time. So 70 million pounds, you know, the profit of the contractors is 20 million pounds a day. So there's the opportunity every day, you know, there's three times as much that they could save. If you save time, again, let's go, let's go back to this important why am I now become obsessed with time? Because this is a really only been after all these years of doing all this. It's only been a light bulb moment a few years ago that improve, improving the project time has so many significant positive impacts on so many things. A is a clear indicator of productivity. The rate of output, rate of completion is a rate of value to the client Time is the biggest cost on a project. 70 to 80% of the project time is cost-related. Risk. Um, claims. Most claims are in terms of size, in terms of value, are the EOT claims, which are time-related. Social value improves the, sh the shorter the project. The carbon footprint improves. Cash flow improves. But the other much more fundamental, and that's why when I do this work, sometimes I get really good buy-in, is the fact that the only time when there's opportunity for all the supply chain to make more money is when you shorten the project time. This, the earlier the project finishes, yeah, because everybody then saves on prelims. Every other mm. cost-saving approach somebody loses out. Every value engineering approach, somebody ends up losing out. There's one thing at the expense of someone else. Yeah. So, Ali, on that note then, um, obviously, the bigger the project, the harder the project. And if, we're t if time is important, should we just go back to making projects small again? Well, projects, you know, we break things up. We, we, you know, we have sections, but ultimately we need to know what the bottleneck of the whole entire system is every day. Mm -hmm. so, so I said there are two things that as part of the one is the fact that we sh we've got to stop we've got to say we're going to do two meters at a time yeah not two days at a time you know there are so many things you know we have the Monday starts you know about that everything is planned to start on a Monday you look at any program, 99% of the durations are multiples of five because everything is, a, you know. So if something finishes on a Tuesday, the next guy doesn't turn up till a Monday. So you use three days, 70 million pounds a day across many projects. And trust me, yeah. I reckon about 15 days a week, 15 days a year is lost across all the projects. We had then a, you, uh, on that one, sorry to interrupt. We had, what, yeah. we had a very interesting uh, lesson when I was a planner. The master planner used to get pissed off because... We did monthly reporting. You would love this, Ali. And, you know, all the project managers would put the last day of the month for their tasks. And he would say, no, 
because what would happen is uh, if they were late, then they would just move it by a couple of days. They said, oh, we're only a couple of days late, but they've moved it the whole month effectively. And you have this full slippage across, right? So everyone, so then he had this rule. No one was allowed to end anything at the end of the month, which I thought was very, very clever because I didn't know anyone else has done that since. But um, it's bang on your point. Sorry to interrupt you there. No, that's all right. No, so that, that. So then you have the half-day syndrome. If one guy finishes at 12 o'clock, it's very unlikely that the next trade will pick up the baton. And that happens a lot. Mm. You know, we're talking projects, major project, you guys on prelims of what? 100 grand a day? 30 grand a year? This is what I'm... And what happens when I go on a project and go, okay, what's... You know, instead of telling me how many resources you have today, tell me what's happening to your bottleneck. He goes, oh, I don't know if there's anybody working on it or not. And you feel like shaking the project manager saying, let's go out there and have a look. You know, that's costing you. What's your prelims here? You know, you're sitting here in this office, all these people, it must be at least 15, 20 grand. And you sitting there worried about how many electricians you have on site. So the key is work, not having work sitting there waiting. There's no point crashing out stuff when he sits there waiting. There's no point in me going to a project and a guy saying we've just crashed out since you were last here, three floors of the um, um, fire hydrant, fire, fire whatever, pipe work. Um, uh, yeah, the, you know what I mean. I'm saying, well, uh, oh no, there was a classic one, um, fan call units. So I turn up on site, they go, since you were here, we've actually hung um, three floors of uh, fan call units. And I'll go, yeah. And he goes, aren't you impressed? I said, no. I said, how many have you piped up and wired up? None. I said, well, you've achieved nothing then. You know, you haven't done anything that improves the project. Oh, I mean, you hear, or, or we brought this greeting forward by two weeks. By two weeks. And so well, how much, you know, how much is that going to bring the end date? Because something else, there's always another path, a day, maximum two days behind that will hold everything out. You cannot just bring things forward thinking by bringing one thing forward is going to, this is why you need this whole idea of a continuous improvement then kicks in. No change, no system technique delivers much more than a day. And so you've got to, we, and the next thing is, Again, this is a very recent light bulb moment because I've been doing what everybody else is doing, trying its individual tools in isolation and not getting that greater benefit. So the next thing is, and I think we talk about risk, and I was talking about to a risk manager the other day and say, well, where does a risk like this come in your, in your schedule? I reckon, and I have no proof, the biggest risk to projects taking longer than they should and in, and in that sort of running late is not prioritizing the work and doing the work in the order of priority. Mm. On every project, out of every 100 tasks, only 30 of them are usually resourced. Yeah? Well... Did, did, in Australia, you look at you look at your program on a project and see how many tasks there are, and then you go out there and you'll see only thirty of them are resourced, thirty percent around. It's, it's it's worse than that, Ali. In Australia, most mega actually all mega projects, I can probably say, are not resourced. They're not resourced at all. 
Oh, do it is it is an absolute <laughs> do, do, do you mean resource loaded or I resource mean, no you mean having somebody yeah. working on them yeah that's what ellie means oh, oh yeah you, you, you mean resource. Yeah, 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 the, yeah the resources aren't planned to the plan though. oh yeah no i'm not no, sure. yeah absolutely yeah. but i think i think there's just a slight crossover there because mm. ellie means resourced as in having the actual resources oh, available on the ground. and you, yeah. you're talking about resource loading a schedule mm. but i think yeah i i agree with that and you can't deliver anything if you don't have the resources, right? Um, and well, there's, there's a couple of issues. Right? There's a couple of issues. Sorry, Ali, if we unpick what you're saying here, because I'm listening intently, because I'm trying. I'm trying to think. If I'm listening to you, what are the key nuggets to take away here? And I think, for me certainly, it's around. Okay, we know what we what doesn't work. We know the benefits if we do things in a correct way. What are the causes? What are the root causes? Is it the fact that we don't have the skilled resources to be able to plan correctly? Is it we don't have the skilled resources to go out and actually say, update the plan accurately to identify things? Is it the fact that we have planners or no formal education that gives planners the rounded knowledge that you've accumulated over your many years? What are the root causes that's brought us to the current situation? It is very little. I mean, we think projects run late because of poor planning. Why do, Why do because we think that? Because that's what managers think. There's always talk about poor planning. Actually, no, yeah. it's a poor execution. You know, your guys, has he has no idea what's going... Let, let's go back to this 130 idea, 30%, yeah? 30% is more than what you need to do. But people from the outside look in and go, you only work on 30 out of the 100 tasks available. Yes, because actually the other... 80% of it we don't even need to work on. If you press, if you use your program and press um, latest possible start on every task, do that tomorrow. How many tasks will there be left showing? 30%? <laughs> only one. There will only be one task showing. Depends how good your schedule is, but yeah. I, I get yeah. your principle. <laughs> yeah. There's only one. If there's a proper critical path, everything is linked, which most of the time they're not. I was about to say that. But yeah. 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 You know, you yeah. can't do critical chain if everything is not linked. Everything is not validated by all the subcontractors. Anyway, we, we can go on. So you'll only have one task showing, which you must do on that day. That's the one that's costing you the 70 million a day. Most people don't even know what that is on a project. You know, you ask a project manager, what's, you know, what's driving the end date today? They goes, everything drives the end date today. You then think, you know, you've signed the science behind your thinking is just, and this is why I was saying, you know, there's not enough intellect applied in on project, not that people are not intelligent enough. So AI cannot, there's nothing intellectually for AI, intelligence-wise for AI to take over when they take over project delivering projects. We don't apply data or science. Anyway, going back to, so 100, like on a project recently, there were 40, there were 40 areas for bricklayers to work on, 40 bricklayers, and they only had eight. So, and they were saying to me, oh, we're going to talk to the bricklayers. I'm going to say, no. Eight is more than enough as long as you work on the top eight in terms of impact on the end date. You don't need to work on the other ones. Work on the ones and in terms of impact on the end date. Therefore, it is absolutely fundamental 
this is my definition of project management. And that is knowing the impact of every available daily task on the end date. I'm not expecting somebody to walk around in their head, but I'm expecting when they walk around, there's a list of priorities in every floor and every room that said these are the, we, we color code things, red, blue, and orange and gray. And if you're a subcontractor and you do a gray blow activity instead of a blue or red, you know, you really have to come and answer at the, at the weekly sessions. Why? Because you're impacting the, you know. Okay, let's think of it this way. You've got a program, right? We've got all these bars. Imagine all those bars on your program being cars or the part of activities being trains. And imagine they're all moving all the time. They're moving. They're on the move. Either they're moving or the end date is moving towards them, those bars. Can you imagine that, what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Okay. If you don't knock off the ones that are getting closer to the line, like Tetris I mentioned earlier, mm. you will soon be in big trouble. If you don't know what to knock off, if you're knocking off the ones at the back you then have no chance of finishing the project on time. No chance. You know, it doesn't matter. The only difference, I think, between we talk about complex projects, with the more complex the project, the faster the bottleneck moves. Yeah. You know, the bottleneck of the critical activity can move every day. And if you don't, your system doesn't tell you that, then, you know, you are in... In, in, in big trouble. So, so, so you... with that, Ali, with the, um, you mentioned bottlenecks and we talked about critical path and obviously that's important. How do you, for someone who's maybe wanting to do something like this or at least try, how do you identify bottlenecks? It's not an individual task. So the bottleneck, A, a you, you, we try, try and move people away. We want to know, you know, what sort of quantities of work they're going to do. We base it on, you know, quantities of work and then we trying to then the, the thing is that softwares only provide one benefit the programming softwares no matter which one the simpler one the better the less reporting the better because you know your sat nav doesn't give you reports your sat nav doesn't have a camera on the back saying you know what you covered all these talks of helmet with sat navs um, with cameras i don't want to know what's happening you know most most Cars have computers that tell you how many miles you've done. Your sat-nav doesn't tell you that. You, you know, you're only interested in where you're going. And by the way, most people use their sat-nav when they're going home, not because they don't know where they're going. It's because it tells you if there's a problem ahead. So does the system work like a sat-nav? Does it tell you, you know, where you're at? And... The other thing is, with a pro because with a sat-nav, is only one path of activities that it follows. On a project, you have many. You could actually know what drives the end date and work on it and beat the time that is set for it and still run late. Because mm -hmm. it is so easy for other parts of activities to come and overtake. It happens all the time. The critical path shifts and moves all the time. And you need to yeah. know, you need to know. The bottleneck, it determines the productivity, determines profitability, determines so many things. And the, your system has to know it. And to set it up 
you need to have i mean we have 12 criteria for any program that is supposed to prioritize uh, the only benefit software uh, provides is prioritizing work and most planners i meet don't even know how, how it shows the priority honestly i met somebody the other day didn't even know what there was a total slack column for example so how do you pri- and you know you shouldn't be sitting around doing weekly plans you should be issuing this is the this is the all's priority this is it this is the cut the system says this is what you're going to do the system says this is the priority so change the way stop organizing the work around time start prioritizing and then so then all the principles we talk about they all work but they have to be most of the time, the other thing we do is we apply principles in order to reduce cost rather than reduce time. So, and also that we've got all these things now about trying to improve quality. You can't imp- shorten pr- time unless you improve quality. So stop focusing on about all the defects, whatever. I mean, one of the things about reducing batches is reduces the, it actually improves quality by around 90% because most um errors or repeats of the same because of when you yeah on on a recent project 120 holes were made for a ventilation and when the guy you know it took it was a university building loads of labs they hadn't tried to fit one of the ventilation um, vents on until they were all built and the first the first one the guy goes no, this is the wrong size. So the bigger the batch, the greater the amount of work, the longer the duration. So you've got a knockoff thing. and that. So you've got all these principles. You have to, all the things we talk about, like psychological safety, like uh, team working, like collaboration. I'll, you know, what am I going to see if there's a collaborative contract? What should I see when I walk on site? I don't see anything different. I can't tell what type of contract the project is. I want to see collaboration. I want to see people walking collectively with a priorities list. And this is where the idea of the ward round comes in. I think the ward round, the time is system ward round. I am married to a doctor, consultant. I am... um, um, My son has recently qualified as a doctor and... And I have to sit there at every meal time, listen to them discussing things. And one of the things they've been talking about, they're talking about a few years ago, is ward rounds. And you think, you know, my wife, since she graduated, whatever, she's been doing ward rounds. And the ward rounds are considered one of the most effective clinical practices. It's done daily without fail. They're getting bigger and bigger. And the bigger they're getting, the better actually it is, because then there's less communication afterwards. So she doesn't have to then phone the pharmacist or speak to the aftercare because they're there. They walk patient by patient, discuss each one, they discuss you know, how, what the medication should be with the pharmacist. So this is what we do. I walk people around and I believe that that's what people should do every day, collectively, not individually. There's no point individual project managers walking around you know you know i do I, i've been on so many walks with senior people you know heads of delivery from major 
um, Whitehall departments. We walk around and I go, uh, only delegates. And after about 10 minutes, I said, why are we walking? They're saying, we're going to see what's going on. I said, what do you mean, what's going on? How can you tell what's going on? Where is it, you know... (laughs) Where is it, you know, we, we produce priorities list here. Nobody's asked for a printout of that and say, okay, show, take me to that red activity. I want to see how that's going. Yeah. You know what it is, what it is good for, though, Ali? It's good for step yeah. count. Um, but it look, is good. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to ask you something before we sort of head towards the end of the pod. Um, yeah. You, you I want to add one have... more thing at the end. Go on. Sure, yeah. We'll, we'll give you a chance for a final thought as well. Um, we've been talking a lot about you know, the, the do's, the don'ts. I just want to, I guess, be clear for the listeners that are listening to you. Who's your message for? Is it for every project profession or are you yes. targeting specific roles within the, the project? Because you've named a few things where, you know, project managers blame poor planning. You've named things like, you know, sometimes we don't plan correctly because we, we don't use the right techniques and things like that. Is, is it a broad spectrum that you know everyone should be taking heed or are you focusing on specific roles that can really make a difference here no i'm looking at it systemically okay and so i mean again a lot of people talk about systems and everybody has a different view of what a system is i look at a system in two ways there's what's called systemic looking at things holistically and then Mm -hmm. systematic so holistically means collectively. So you utilize the collective wisdom. You walk to the problem. You don't sit around and say, oh, in that corner, I have a problem. Which corner? Which floor? What problem? How big is it? Let's go and have a look at it. So, and then there's a, a systematic, which means having daily routines that you follow. Mm. So we have set, we, I've looked at every possible thing that could go wrong how you, uh, you know, your checklist, one of your, somebody um, was talking about checklists. Am I allowed to mention name? In one of your podcasts anyway. The yeah. Ch- ch- yeah, ch- definitely. Ch- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Adrian um, Dooley, is it? Yes. Yeah. yeah, he was talking about, check. you know, we have, a, we have check sheets that you use to walk around like hospital wards. So that, you know, we have the priorities list that they walk around with. Um, so, and you have to follow the, and you only have to look at the, you know, to, we only encourage people. You can't look at every task. You only go and look at the top five or six. They're what we call red and blues. Red is being critical, blue being within five days of driving the end date usually. And then you go and assess, you go assess the batch size, you go assess how it's going, you go. And then you should, at the end of every day, using this, you should be able to say to me, what's happened to the end date? Now you yeah, like, okay, like now, and now so, the other thing is why 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 is time is going to be most effective because time is looks at all the little um, mechanics of achieving the highest the fastest type of for example serve you know that everything has lots of good things and I've pulled in and the other part about time is that is absolutely fundamental is designed purely for reducing, shortening, I don't call it reducing, is it quite, I'm not going to go into why we call it shorten rather than reduce or speed up, shortening the project duration only and is designed that all these principles have to be applied 
interconnectedly daily and it has mm. to be visible otherwise you'll not get the show it's not something you know oh i do a bit of this and i do a bit of that and i use bim here and i use you know i may introduce um whatever yeah um, we've spoken plenty about siloed working before on projects mm, and yeah, that sure. doesn't help anyone right everyone's got a great idea in these different departments but they're not yeah. all working together and totally totally agree with you i think we had um uh, it was John Holman a couple of years ago actually did, talking yeah. about systemic risk and that feeds nicely into that as well. But look, Ali, I know you've got to go as well. Um, you yeah. do short of time. So I want to, I guess, wrap up because first off, where, just quickly, where can people get in touch with you to continue conversation? Do you have a website? Um, they they can look up um, the uh, www.timemist.co.uk. Timeist, we use choose Timeist because Timeist is a person who cares about time, especially mm. in the world of music, he monitors time. Um, all the principles that I've talked about, most of which are common across many systems, they're all on there. There's a principles page. And each principle, if you click on it, explains what actually means. Like, you know, we believe in there has to be people, intrinsic motivation has to be, address to deliver the bit, you know, on a daily basis. That's why the collective work walk helps because people are involved and you have to have psychological safety when people walk. You have to create horizontal accountability when people walk. And these are all in, these are the number of principles. You have to know what the constraint is. Um, so each, if you click on them, it tells you what, it, what it means and how you could apply it. And you can get in touch and we can do three months trials or I'm, if you guys are willing to find somebody who is willing to organize a debate, I'm happy to sit there and explain <laughs> why, you know, possibly that Timeis will deliver the project in a shorter time than Prince 2 or Agile or whatever else. Brilliant. Or, we, or Crystal Chain or Lean or whatever. We, That's we the challenge. The yeah, we, we loved off of the debate, and I'm sure there's plenty of folks out there that are up for the challenge. So Val and I have taken notes. We'll, we'll get we'll get onto that. But look, it's been amazing to listen to your thoughts and opinions. We love your passion. We love the fact that you're not afraid to challenge and that, you know, you've taken your views and you formulated them, you've thought about them, you've had a, quite a few light bulb moments of your career, and using this is where you're at, and it's fantastic that you share that with those that are listening because we only improve when we challenge the status quo on how we can be better than we were before. So really, really thank you for your time. It's been amazing. Before we let you go, though, any final anecdotes, thoughts that you want to yeah, leave Yeah, there's with? a guy, there's a kid who just beat Tetris. Did you I see that? I heard about this. Yes, yeah. I did hear about this. Amazing. Employ him. <laughs> we're on it. Yeah. We're on two actions. He will be the best project... So the three Absolutely. things to bear in mind, the system, if, if the sat-nav doesn't do it, don't do it. It has to work like a sat-nav. Think Tetris or the train coming, you know, the ta think the tasks are moving all the time on your whatever. And think ward rounds. And the key is, you know, we are, we are encouraging people to focus on the collectively, focus on the system and not on each other. Yeah, mm. you know, stop managing each other. Focus collectively on the system. Follow the system. If it's the right system, you'll know if it's the wrong system, then you change it every day. You'll get mm. the best outcome. And it's been lovely talking to you too. I'm sorry I've sort of talked nonstop at times. No, we love it. And I appreciate it, Ali. We'll have you back definitely anytime.
my bad jokes were not, I didn't get a chance to throw too many of those in. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll get so the debate. It. So keep all of your bad jokes for that debate. Okay. Um, we'll, oh, that's we'll true. See, yeah, we'll see if your, your challenger gets your jokes too. But no, like I say, it's been absolute, uh, absolutely fantastic for both of us to, to you know, hear your thoughts, your opinions, your views. And, you know, I, I guess the listeners will take a lot of this as well because one of the things we find is that the more we give perspective to those out there, the more we share, the more we improve projects. So really, really thank you for your time um, on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, people are, you know, I'm just learning and I'm trying and this is what's coming to me. And people are saying, like you've seen some of the comments that, you know, they're um, sort of mind-moving ideas. What, what They're just things <laughs> that, you know, the more you do things, you realize how the best thing is. So when will I get my ticket to come out there to, to help you guys out? <laughs> we should talk after we end this pod. <laughs> yeah, I'm expecting a <laughs> first-class flight. <laughs> See you tomorrow night. <laughs> See you tomorrow night. But look, yeah, on that note, folks, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for sharing the best part of an hour with us. Um, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do help us pay it forward and share a link to this episode on your favorite social media. Once again, a massive thank you to our guest, Ali Maffey, and thank you all for listening. Till next time, we say stay safe, be disruptive, and have fun doing it. From me and Bell in person, it's bye for now. See you guys. Project Shadow supports and is a member of Zero Construct. Zero Construct is a new working group that wants to lower carbon construction. Not everyone will be aware, but construction contributes to around 12 to 15% of total carbon emissions. This is a staggering amount and we need to reduce it. We are a growing community of people that want to help make this change. Everyone is welcome, whether you're an engineer, contractor or consultant. You just need to want to make a difference. Our aim is to grow a network of experts so we can all learn from each other and make a positive impact in the places where we work. We'll do this by sharing knowledge and making it accessible in engaging ways. To join us and find out more, please visit zeroconstruct.com and register as a member. Thank you, and we look forward to speaking with you soon. For more information, blogs, or to support our charities, visit projectchatterpodcast.com. And if you would like to sponsor the podcast, get in touch via our website. You can also leave us a voice message via our anchor page and let us know if there's something or someone specific that you would like on the podcast. The views, thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the participating individuals and not necessarily to the individual's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. Additionally, any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual.